G'day everyone and welcome back to Garden Guy Dale K's Big Backyard. I'm your host, Dale K. Hopefully you had a great week. I had a great week as well. Um, and actually I bumped into a few little houseplant gems or a couple of little stores, uh, houseplant stores that I absolutely been waiting to tell you about. Um, so we'll get to that. Also coming up on the show today, my dictionary or glossary, I guess, of horticultural terms. And I realized or it occurred to me that us or myself in the horticultural industry, we kind of speak a different language. You've got some terms and things that might be a little intimidating. Maybe you don't understand what they are. So hopefully um, we'll go through some of these terms and get you all up on to uh, get you up to speed on garden speak, so you feel less intimidated when you go to your favorite local garden shop, or uh, you have kind of the lingo that we use. Um, so I want to go over that, and then also I want to touch on the urban farm in the big backyard. I think urban farming was a little bit, a wee little bit of a trend a few years back. I think it's still very relevant today, and there's some good reasons why we should be talking about it right now. So getting back to my trip to the prairie, I was actually on my way to Fargo or going to Fargo and the locals there, they call it just simply the go. I think that's short for Fargo. So I went to the go and I bumped into some unexpected plant jam shops. And I should mention also before we get too far into the podcast, if you've got gardening questions, you just want to drop me a note. It's easy to do on Instagram, Dale K Garden Guy. So I'm up in Fargo and there is this um, brewery, a local brewery called Drekkers. And it's been there for a couple of years. But what they've done right next door, and they've kind of linked the space by a breezeway, is they've cre- created this wonderful event space. I think it has a hotel or it's about to have a hotel opening up. And what they've done is they've created this big hall where they've actually leased out space to other vendors. So you can get a beer and you can get some food. And it's one of those places that's a shop, eat, drink, repeat kind of a deal. And not that that's really anything new. I'm sure it's very new in Fargo. But one of the vendors in there, and I should mention this place is called Bruhala. It's on First Avenue in Fargo. It's just a wee little bit of out of the downtown proper, but it's on First Avenue. But what it has in there, apart from it has this beautiful wine bar that sells Australian Reds. That's a plus. They really brought a smile to my face. They also have, and if you go downtown Fargo, there's a, a pizza place called Blackbird Pizza. It has some of the best pizza anywhere in the Midwest. But they all um, Blackbird also has a little space there, wood-fired pizza. So we were there having some wine, having some pizza, and I bumped into this little place called The Plant Supply. And on first impressions, very nice. Nothing that, that took my breath away, but as I took a closer look or started to poke around in the space a little bit and, you know, sipping some wine, looking at plants, hey, that's a good way to spend a Saturday. I couldn't help but notice notice some of the way they were marketing or assigning their plants that made it very easy to shop, especially for a beginner. Um, terminology like plant friend, uh, pet friendly, don't worry, I'll kill plants too. Um, low maintenance. There was all these kind of, um, kind of like little helpful tips 
that would help you grow happier and only and owning plants and taking care of plants easier. So it was really actually kind of a cool little space. They had some pottery and uh, some of some things to help you grow house plants, but definitely worth checking out. The plant supply, it's in Bruhalla on First Avenue in Fargo. The other thing that's happening in Fargo, kind of along the same house plant uh, vibe, is a little freestanding shop called Botanical Brothers. It's on Fourth Street, kind of more in the downtown. And they are a self-proclaimed little slice or a little bit of paradise in North Dakota. Great, full of houseplants. But what I there's two things I really like about, about this place called Botanical Brothers. Firstly, it's set up a little bit like a coffee shop would be. They've got couches and lounges. And you kind of buy plants and lounge around and you could discuss and maybe have a cup of coffee there. But it's kind of got that coffee shop vibe, which is which is kind of fun and relaxing. The other thing that I really like about it is the business itself is started up by two younger two younger gentlemen, one uh, two younger brothers in fact. One's a, a hot student, the other one's into business. Very um very houseplant forward business, but I was so impressed to see a young generation of people getting into horticulture and not only getting into horticulture, but creating a business around that. So two places to check out the next time you're in the go. And I know, trust me, I know you're driving along 94 and it's prairie and it's sort of the start of prairie and it's, you don't want to stop in Fargo. Well, now you've got a couple of reasons to stop in Fargo. So like I mentioned, there's some things that I, or terms that I use that sometimes I realize I think I'm speaking a different language, and that's not uncommon in any kind of field or, or, or so forth, but gardening is meant to be so accessible, so nourishing, so rewarding, that I think when we look at plant labels or we start to use terms or you start to hear terms that you may not be familiar with, it can be a little bit intimidating. So today I thought we'd walk the walk and run through some terms or a glossary of terms that will help you um, the next time maybe you're at your favorite local garden shop or you hear something and you're like, hmm, wonder what that really truly means. So let's start with the list. And this is this list is in no particular alphabetical order, no particular order of importance. But I remember the first time I came to the US from Australia and I was working at a garden shop or a garden center, there was this thing called B&B. And I'd been in the horticultural industry in Australia for a while, and I'd never even heard of this word B&B. Well, B&B is short for bold and burlap, and even bold and burlap st- still didn't make a lot of sense to me, or I didn't really know what that was. So B&B, or bold and burlap, to break it down, there's two conventional ways to grow plants, I guess. One is in containers, and we're all from very familiar about that. You you buy a tree, and it's in a container, and you take it out of the container, and you plant it. There is another method of growing nursery stock, larger shrubs, larger trees, and that's to plant them directly in the field. So instead of planting lettuce in a field, say, you plant trees in a field. You space them out, and away you go. Now, there's some tricks to growing nursery stock or trees and shrubs that way, 
and this is generally suited around larger larger specimens that you would buy at your favorite local garden shop. You have to do some root pruning when the when the trees are young to help contain the roots so they don't spread out everywhere. So when they go to harvest the the trees and the shrubs, the roots are, are more or less compact in a in a certain space. So when growers do this this field grown nursery stock, they what they do is they they root prune regularly and take care of the plants you know similar to as in containers but then when they go to harvest they'll actually dig them out of the ground and put them into a wire cage the wire cage is lined with like a burlap gunny sack kind of thing or material and then it's all bundled up and tied up so your root ball and everything's kind of contained in burlap and then in this wire cage and that's what B&B is all bowled in burlap so they've taken it out the root ball the bolt and wrapped it in burlap and then into a cage. And that's a fairly common way to buy generally larger trees and shrubs. The other one that starts with a B is bare root. Mm, bare root. It kind of is what it sounds like. It, it, it has roots, but the roots are bare. There's no soil. So that same thing where you're either growing field stock or you're growing in a container, usually those roots are, are uh, embedded into either the soil or the container mix, and that makes it easy for transplanting. There, and you'll find, uh, you'll find bare root in tree shrubs and also some perennials as well, but there's no soil. So they're usually a little bit younger plants, and what the growers will do is they'll, instead of keeping that soil intact, they'll re basically remove the soil. Now you'll find this, this type of material, you'll find it often online because there's no heavy soil, which reduces shipping costs and some packaging um, issues that, uh, evolve around shipping plants with soil. Um, it's also a very economical way to buy plants. And the great thing is the transplanting is relatively easy because the hole that you dig, it's just the roots. So you usually, some, a lot of times you're generally not digging such a big hole. Now there is a, a couple of caveats with buying bare root. Firstly, you usually only find bare root uh, plants about this time of year, early spring, before the plant has actually leafed out because there is some transplanting shock or some things associated with bare root. The other thing is it's extremely perishable. You know when plants are in a container, well, you kind of know you have to water those. They can go for a few days in between waterings. But without any of that soil to help um, retain moisture, those roots become, uh, they can become dry very quickly, almost within hours in some case. So um, protecting those or uh, planting those plants right away becomes really extremely critical uh, because they are so perishable. And oftentimes they'll be packed in some like some sawdust or some sort of shingles to help keep a little bit of moisture in, particularly if you're buying them online and they're, they're shipping them. So that's, that's, the, that's the terminology of bare root, just basically a plant without any soil around it. The next one, let's let's see. Let's talk about habit. And oftentimes, when you think of habit, you think, well, is that like a bad habit, like picking your nose or um, having some annoying trait, I guess, or a good trait, both good and bad habits. Habit horticulturally means the general structure of the plant. It's it's growth habits more than a good habit or a bad habit. Um, so really, the the structure, what the plant looks like, is its habit and how it grows. Another one that comes up, particularly at this time of year, is the term harden off or hardening off. 
And what that is, it's basically a process where a plant is gradually introduced to colder temperatures. So if you're growing all your seeds and you got your tomatoes and your peppers or whatever you're growing in the house now in seeding flats, it's a good idea to take them outdoors and acclimate them, not only give them some fresh air, but acclimate them to the cooler temperatures that are naturally occurring in the early spring. You can leave them out till dusk or take them out earlier in the morning, providing it's not um, it's not below freezing. But that whole process of uh, gra gradually introducing them is called hardening off. Now, another one that people wonder, hmm, wonder what that means, and that is herbaceous perennials. What's a herbaceous perennial? Well, they're a little different than a woody perennial because a woody perennial has kind of a woody fiber, um, some structure to the stems. Herbaceous perennials, on the other hand, have a very soft, succulent stem. And with that soft, succulent stem, and perfect example is a hosta, very common here in the upper Midwest, what it does is it dies back in cooler temperatures and basically dies to the ground. And then what happens in the spring is that foliage, that last year's foliage often obviously doesn't come back, but new foliage or new stems come up from the roots and roots themselves. So that's what a herbaceous perennial is. It's a little bit different than a woody perennial. It's got that soft succulent stem that dies back in the winter and then rejuvenates in the spring. So wet feet is another one. This is like, well, what is wet feet? We use it commonly. What is it? Well, it's really any kind of root structure that is exposed to excess water or maybe has a high water table or poor drainage. Anytime uh, roots of a plant kind of sit in excess water for a period of time is called wet feet. And generally, you want to avoid that at all costs. You want to improve drainage. Um, make sure you're not make sure you're planting the right plant in the right spot, particularly if it's in a low lying area or a wet area. Do your research, pick out the right plants, um, and most importantly, amend your soil, particularly if you've got poor drainage or clay soils. Talking about soil, soil structure. Talk about soil structure. You know how compost and and all those things uh, uh, change soil structure. Well, soil structure quite simply is the arrangement of individual soil particles. So it's just how they kind of mesh together, sit together. That is soil structure. It's just how all those individual soil particles kind of sit together and play nice in your in your in your garden. Another one revolving around soil, I guess, we say soilless potting soil. Well, you don't have to read the label too much anymore because these days pretty much every potting soil that you buy in a bag is soilless, but it means it just has doesn't have any dirt in it. So it's usually the main ingredients for a potting soil is usually peat moss or like an aged pine bark. Those two are really common, but essentially soilless potting soil, um, no dirt in it, and it provides an excellent um, foundation, particularly for container plants or anything you're any kind of repotting that you're that you're doing. Uh, pinch, it's not like pinching your favorite person or pinching my grandmother, my nana. She used to pinch me all the time, particularly when I was naughty. Pinch or pinching back is horticulturally simply removing a portion of the plant. So it's almost a type of pruning where you would actually kind of 
and it's usually done with your fingers. You can uh, deadhead flowers or pinch back petunias, pinch back just about anything, um, disbudding, removing buds, um, taking flowers off a of basil, all that kind of, uh, all that type of pruning is called uh, pinch or pinching back. Let me see, do we have time for one more? We've got time for one more. Let's talk about um, asexual reproduction. Often used, particularly if you're reading about propagating, uh, asexual reproduction is simply cell tissue, uh, the, the method of propagation either by cell tissue or an organ of the plant. Sexual propagation is from seed. Asexual is usually not from seed. So there you go. There's some uh, glossaries of terms. If there is a term that you're not familiar with or that you would like me to expand on, it's easy to do again on Instagram. Drop me a note there, Dale K garden guy. And I should mention horticulture. What is what is horticulture? It's basically, well, this is my version of it. It's the intensive cultivation of plants. So anybody that's in my industry, that's what we do. It's the intensive cultivation of plants. All right. The urban farm, and there's lots of different types of urban farming, I guess. Um, let's say canning, canning and preserving, fermenting veggies, um, Backyard beehives, great for honey, great for uh, pollinating your vegetable garden and pollinating the whole neighborhood for that for that matter. Um, that is a type of urban farming. Really even making your own cheese, I guess, um, would be urban farming as well. But probably the number one and the reason I bring it up this time of year is because it's baby chick season. So if you're into backyard chickens, eggs, if you're harvesting the meat, uh, now is the time to get your chicks and backyard chicks, I guess, is not exactly new, but but um, I think the urban farm in the backyard is kind of a cool, kind of a really cool thing to do. So a couple of tips with backyard chickens. Um, always check with your neighbors. You know how it is, guys. You maybe want to check, make sure you um, uh, with your neighbors. We have chicks running around. And then also check your city, check your county for ordinances. Most cities allow chickens, some don't. So do your research there before you go to an investment of uh, buying chicks and all the supplies and finding out that you're breaking some sort of code. If you're out in the bush, hey, you don't even have to usually worry about that kind of stuff. But some simple supplies that you need apart from the chicks. Um, now's the time to do it. Uh, visit your favorite farm feed store. Um, but basically the, the essential ingredients, and I should mention, everything is relatively low cost. And once you've purchased it, you kind of got it for life. So um, the investment is not a lot. But you need some sort of a brooder lamp with a ceramic base or a clamp. Keeps the chicks nice and warm. Also a 250 watt red heat bulb is ideal as well. You'll need some sort of uh, galvanized metal or plastic uh, chick feeder base uh, for the young chicks to feed out of and also uh, likewise a simple water base as well and you usually find those either in plastic or a galvanized metal um, you need a you probably need a bale of pine shavings for for bedding most importantly you'll need some chick grit uh, that kind of keeps them keeps them going keeps them healthy and uh, once you have those few basic ingredients, and then of course you need some the feed as well, and your your feed store will help you or guide you through some of that feed. I like uh, soy free um, grains myself for my for for the chicks. That's just my personal preference. You do your research, um, 
and of course feed is is the next important part now is the time any time between about middle end of march into early april that's when chicks become available i hear actually they're in short supply um, a lot of people doing some some backyard farming chicks are in short supply so if the place that you're going to has the option to order ahead i would definitely go ahead and do that okay let's get into some garden questions and if you have a garden question that you'd like answered here on the show easy to do instagram again dale k garden guy okay uh the first question is from mike he writes in or he wrote uh, uh wrote me a note and said are robotic mowers good on hills so I actually, I don't have a robotic mower. I, I don't know a lot about them. So I reached out to my friend, Brandon Happel at Toro. He, uh, Toro is based right here in the Twin Cities and got him a little bit of information. I uh, got a little information from him. And actually Toro invited me back when their lawn is, is green and up and running uh, at their headquarters. And we're going to take one of these, one of their new robotic mowers through its paces so, Mike, I promise that I will circle back um, here probably towards the end of April into May and get back with you on the actual their actual uh, robotic mower. But here's what I know about it. It's a 60, and it came out last year. It's a 60-volt um, flex force power system, and it's the same basic engine that they've been that they've uh, had in their other EV or electric mowers that are push that put the same put the same motor into their robotic or their autonomous mower. It has the advantages of the Toro mower is that it has a vision-based navigation system. So it's not kind of this clunky thing that just bumps into something, bumps into your tool shed, spins around and goes the other way. It's it's kind of mapped out. Uh, it kind of maps out your, your yard and does all that kind of fun stuff that makes it uh, a lot more efficient it does work on inclines my gut would tell me that if it's a really steep incline or you've got acres of incline and it's uh it's not great terrain um electric mower uh, a robotic mower might struggle a little bit um but this 60 volt flex force power system is allegedly a great mower like i said i'm going to try it out for myself and it's part of really the um the whole smart yard or the Toro Smart Yard uh, innovations. And what they're basically doing is taking smart home technology and moving it outdoors. So your mower, your outdoor lighting, your irrigation system, it's all going to be programmable, all touch of the phone and all that good stuff from Toro. So I promise I will circle back and um, with my review of Toro's brand new um, uh, Vision branded navigation system, their autonomous mower. So that's that question. Um, there are we have other questions. I have other questions. I might get to those next week because we're running a wee little bit short on time. So Libby, don't worry. The the question was, can you plant tomatoes and potatoes together? I will answer that next time on the podcast. So that's about that about wraps up this week. If you have questions, Dale K Garden Guy on Instagram, you can ask me your questions right there. Um, I had a great week in Fargo, a great weekend in, in Fargo. Looking forward to another great week here in Minnesota. Hope you are too, and I hope your garden's flourishing, and I hope spring is breaking 
where you are. I certainly have uh, enjoyed your time uh, or enjoyed our time together. Thank you for joining me here on Garden Guy, Dale K's Big Backyard. This podcast is a production of Big Backyard Media in conjunction with, of course, myself and Chip Umquist. We truly do enjoy bringing these to you and hope you join us again next time on Garden Guy Dale K's Big Backyard. Oh,